Good morning to everyone. Certainly good to see each and every one of you. It's been a long time, seems like, since I've been up here. I'd actually prepared this sermon about, I think it's been about four months ago, and because uh, it was getting about that time for me to preach again, and then all this happened. And, and uh, so anyway, I've been prepared for a while. I hope I don't mess it up too bad. Uh, I want to thank everyone this morning. Uh, enjoyed the Bible study with Ben. Excellent job. Uh, Daniel just an excellent job with the communion and Josh with the song leading and everything. I just appreciate each and every one of you this morning that's here. Uh, I want to thank Will for helping put the sermon here on the screen. Appreciate that. Good job. Thank Shelby Roy for switching with me and allowing me to preach this morning so I can leave early this afternoon, not have to drive all night, and uh, I don't like doing that, so uh, this way I can leave, go on up there, and spend the night up there, and be there first thing in the morning. <coughs> on a side note, it has nothing to do with the sermon, but uh, yesterday me and Cindy went fishing, and so we was going to go to Cedar Creek, and we... Uh, pulled in there, not a parking spot to be found in the parking lot. And I thought, wouldn't that be a good problem to have right here on Sunday mornings? Just think about that. I, me and Cindy talked about that yesterday. Not not a parking spot at, at the lake. I thought, everybody's worried about going fishing or whatever, but on Sunday mornings, where are they? Probably back fishing again, again. The title of this sermon, A Swarm of Gospel Bees. That's kind of catchy, ain't it? I'd like to take credit for it, but I can't. <laughs> There's a little story behind this, and so I'm going to tell you about it, and it'll make a little more sense to you. Back in January, I was stranded out in Kansas for two days, broke down, and so I had a lot of time on my hands. And so I got the good one, preachers from back when I was a young man, like Will's age or something, you know, and uh, just to see what would come up, what I could find. And I typed some, I found a little something on, some none, but uh, I typed in Austin Mobley. He was the preacher there at Providence back in the 70s and early 80s. Uh, he was the one who baptized me and Cindy both. And uh, I found a little article in there that actually another preacher from another congregation had had a bulletin that he had written and that come from Providence in 1984. And he had reprinted this little article that uh, Brother Mobley had done. It's called A Swarm of Gospel Bees. So I read it, just a little short thing, and I thought, well, I'm going to make a, uh, a sermon out of that. Kind of in honor of him in a way. Uh, I was thinking back, you know, when we're young, we have people that we look up to they set examples for us, and maybe we don't realize it so much then as we look back later on how much they meant to us. And uh, so I wanted to do this sermon this morning, kind of in honor of him, I guess, too, you might say. So we're going to have, I'm going to make about six points on 
different things that starts with B. The first one's going to be wise. And Shepard Roy, he read there. One more time. That guy? Okay, I see it. It's over in the big screen. Gotcha. All right. Chevrolet read there Matthew 7 verse 24 a little while ago talking about being wise. Wisdom is not being the most intelligent person in school. It is the ability to think and act with common sense. Making choices that are beneficial and productive. Experience might be one of the most valuable tools in acquiring wisdom. In other words, experience gives us wisdom to make a certain choice or not. Let me give you an example. You could read books, you could hear lectures, or you could watch someone swimming. But until you jump into the water and get some experience, you won't have true wisdom about water or swimming. And that might be the difference between swimming and drowning. Experience is often the best teacher. What about Solomon? When Solomon became the king of Israel, he could have asked for many things. But what did he ask for? He asked God for wisdom. And God granted to him because he didn't ask for long life or wealth or death of his enemies. Should we ask for wisdom? I think we should. James 1 and 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. We should pray to God for wisdom to understand his word so that we will be living a godly life. We have to make wise decisions in our life or we, going, or we will be paying for it for the rest of our lives or maybe eternity. We have to be wise and accept God's word and do what he's telling us to do. We have to be like the wise man who built his house on the rock, like we read there in Matthew 7, 24. Be faithful. Revelations 2 and 10, there at the end of verse 10, it says, at the, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. The definition, loyal, constant, Steadfast. Sounds like a Christian to me. When a lot of people think about faithful, they think about their spouse being faithful to them. What about being faithful to your family, your children? They expect you to be there for them. A lot of people might think about their job, being faithful to their job. Always on time or doing your job right. If you hire someone to do a job for you, you expect them to do the job they agreed upon for the price they agreed upon. It's something we expect. If you have a good friend, they expect us to be faithful to him. I think God expects us to be faithful to him. <coughs> Is God faithful to us? It says so in Hebrews 10, 23, for he who promised is faithful. And Paul wrote to Titus in chapter 1, verse 2, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. 1 John 1 and 9, God is faithful to forgive when we confess our sins. Even when we are unfaithful to God, 
He remains faithful to us. He sent his son just as he said he would. All the Old Testament prophecy was fulfilled, telling how Jesus would come to earth and be crucified for our sins. That was God being faithful to us. Be ready. Matthew 24, 44. Therefore you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming out of there you do not expect. The Lord could come tonight. I might fall over before I get out of this building this morning. Being a wreck on the way home. Some people think they can live like they want and then when they get older then they'll settle down and give their life to God. But are we promised a long life? Absolutely not. Are we ready to follow Jesus? Peter thought he was until he heard that rooster crow that third time there in Luke 22, 55 through 62. When we realize that we have failed to be ready to follow Jesus, do we weep like Peter did there in verse 62? To be ready, we have to be willing to fully submit our lives to God. A good example would be the rich young ruler, Mark 10, verses 17 through 22. He thought he was ready to do whatever to serve God. But he had that one stumbling block, his money. He was not willing to put God above his possessions. He had not learned the lesson that he could not take his money and possessions with him when he died. We have to be careful about this, that we don't find ourselves in this situation. If we make our money and things more precious than serving God, then we will not be ready to follow God. Verse 25 says, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Be ready to give an answer. 2 Timothy 2.15 Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We have to learn about what we believe so we can be ready to give an answer. Be ready to stand for God's word. People are doing their best to raise God out of our country. So we have to take a stand for God's word and let your voice be heard. If you're ashamed to uphold God's truth, then God will be ashamed of you. Be unmovable. Oh, we get First Corinthians fifteen and fifty-eight says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable always, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. To be steadfast and unmovable is to be spiritually grounded. A steadfast person knows what he believes and cannot be tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching. That can be found in Ephesians 4.14. An unmovable person can hear false teaching, engage doubters, and defend truth without his shaking his own faith. 
In 2 Corinthians, Paul expresses his concern for the church there in Corinth. There in verse 3, even the believers who had been personally taught by the Apostle Paul were victims of deception. How vulnerable are we? To remain steadfast and unmovable, we have to know the Word of God. As I read there a minute ago in 2 Timothy 2.15, we have to be diligent and we have to be a worker. We must not only read the Bible, we must allow it to become part of us. Its truth should so penetrate our minds and hearts that it shapes our thinking and our actions. It should fill our minds that we can detect error when we hear it. Be ye doers. James 1, 22 and 25. The little headline there about the Bible says, Doers, not hearers only. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. Are we doers of the word? Do we put into practice what we hear and read from God's word? When we hear the word of God preached, do we implement it, the word into our life? How many of us remember at one time or another hearing word preached from the pulpit and saying, I really hope brother and sister so-and-so was listening. They really needed to hear that. Well, we've all said that, and rightfully so sometimes. We often think the word applies to everyone but us. When actually we should be thinking, Lord, is there something you want me to get from this? Is there something you want me to do? It reminds me of a story of a young preacher. He just got hard to be a full-time preacher at a congregation, and everybody was really excited about hearing his first sermon, and he delivered a really powerful sermon, done an excellent job. So then all that next week, everybody was all excited and couldn't wait to hear what he's going to preach about that next Sunday. Then he got up, began to preach. It's the same exact sermon he preached the week before. Everybody's hmm, kind of scratching their head, looking around, kind of like y'all do when I get up here. And uh, they didn't think, well, he's, he just knew. He got nervous and kind of... Uh, just forgot what he preached last week, so he didn't say nothing. Well, next Sunday he gets up and preached the same sermon again. So afterward, that Sunday, the elders met with him. They asked him, said, why have you preached the same sermon every Sunday? The young preacher looked at him and he said, have you put it into practice yet? They had not been doers of the word. The Word of God only benefits us if we put it into practice in our daily lives. The writer of Hebrews said in chapter 4, verse 2, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. The Word of God only profits us if we mix it with faith. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. James 2 
Verse 17. Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Matthew 7, 21. And in James 1, 23 and 24, when we look at ourselves in the mirror and then walk away, we can't remember our imperfections. But if we look at someone else and then we walk away, we can remember specifics about them. How easy it is to remember someone else's imperfections. We can hear a message preached from the Word of God clearly speaking to us and walk away and so easily forget what we heard. James 1.25, we have to be doers of the Word. My last one, my point is, be baptized. This might be the most important thing you will ever do. We must be baptized. There is a lot of religious confusion about baptism. Some think baptism isn't necessary. Others believe we're saved before we're baptized. But let's see what the scripture says baptism does. In 1 Peter 3 and 21, Peter says, Baptism doth also now save us. Acts 22, 16, baptism washes away sins. Romans 6, verses 3 and 4. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. <clears throat> baptism gives entry into Christ. Jesus, our authority, made baptism necessary when he gave the command in Mark 16, 16. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. In other words, our sins are not washed away, and we are not in Christ until we are baptized. Since baptism is for the forgiveness of sins, Acts 2, 38, we are still in our sins and lost until we are baptized. We should also realize that baptism is a burial or immersion, not sprinkling. There in Romans, where I just read from verse 4, Romans 6, verse 4, it says buried with him through baptism. And baptism is for believers, not infants. Mark 16, 16 says, he who believes. Many say we aren't saved by works. Yet is baptism a work? It is a work of God. Colossians 2 verse 12. Buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Jesus said belief is a work too. John 6 verse 29. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. James says we must have faith plus works. James 2, 24 through 26. Faith without works is dead. We are saved by the mercy and grace of God, but he demands we be baptized to wash away our sins. And he does the work through his son's blood. We must be baptized to be saved. Six steps we must do to get to heaven. Hear the word. Believe what we hear. Repent of our sins. 
confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, be baptized, and then remain faithful until our death. If you are a Christian, you've already been baptized, be faithful, be doers, be wise, be unmovable, and you will be ready. These are the things we have to do to get to heaven. If you're here this morning, we can help you in any way. Perhaps if you need baptized, we can do that. If you need be, uh, our prayers, maybe you've fallen away. Need to be prayers to strengthen you. If we can help you in any way, would you come forward as we stand and sing?